Hi, my name is Chad Kelly, and welcome back to the UMA Financial Services Podcast. Eric Halverson and I are going to discuss ideas about how to save for your children's college experience. Hope you enjoy. Eric, thanks for jumping back on the financial podcast. Today we're going we're gonna to jump into it and talk about saving for your kid's college experience. Uh, one of the more common questions we get as uh, frustrated clients come in is, why is school so expensive? You know, it's, uh, it seems staggering when you start thinking about paying for your kid's schooling and paying off student loan debt that you have. And it's one of the big stresses in someone's financial plan, I think. Yeah, for sure. Actually, for those listening, I mean, most people listening will be physicians, so they'll they'll know well the cost of education uh, for themselves, and then also for the the cost of education for their children. Um, most probably also live in Utah, and it's interesting as you look through the the cost of education in Utah, it ranges quite drastically from public schools to private schools. Sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, just to give the the audience some perspective. Um, for tuition and, and books and fees, um, and the cheapest Utah schools are around thirty-seven to thirty-eight hundred dollars a year for tuition, uh, which is really actually manageable. But then they they increase quite substantially if you look at private schools or um, kind of more well-known uh, public schools like University of Utah or Utah State, uh, which range about to from seven to nine thousand kind of a year in tuition only. So, um, and compounding actually kind of increasing over time. Uh, if you look back over inflation statistics, the the cost of tuition is actually increasing um, by about two and a half to three and a half percent per year if you look over the last uh, 10 to 12 years. So um, it's it's increasing and at a slightly faster pace than, than inflation in general. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's why... You know, you, if it's been a few years since you've heard the cost of college, you look at the numbers and you say, holy cow, it just seems like it's growing rapidly because it is, right? Um, you know, another common question we get is, uh, should I be saving for my kid's college experience when I myself have student loan debt? You know, that's a, I think it's a, it's a good one to, to look at. There's a number of different variables to consider, I think. Um, I don't know, what, what, some of the variables could be, loan balances yeah I think interest rates um, I think it's there are a few tangible and then less tangible kind of factors um, the ones I would think about would be interest rates primarily sure. so let's say I'm a physician and I have 200,000 in student debt and uh, currently the student debt rates are anywhere from 6.2 to 6.8 percent is the, the, the ones I've seen recently um, that's a high fixed interest rate on your own student debt balances. Um, if we look back at, like, for example, the My529 plan, which is Utah's plan, uh, you can look back and see since inception, most of the age-based investment choices have produced more return than that on an ongoing basis, but you're trading a fixed rate for a variable rate. So yeah. there's some uncertainty there. Yeah. Um, I think the other less tangible factor is just getting in the practice of saving. Um, even if you can just put a little bit away. I remember when our first son was born, uh, we started with $5 a month to his, uh, used to be called UESP, now it's My529, the Utah plan. 
and that was all we could afford as we were when we as we were students. So many of the residents that might be listening to this podcast might think, "I I don't have any money to set aside." Well, you actually can start the practice of putting some money away, and it could be as little as five bucks a month. Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, I think that's it's probably the you, you brought up one of the better points to focus on is the behavior of saving and becoming a good investor. Um, you know, if you step back and look at it from a simple math standpoint, you say every dollar I put towards my student loans, if my rate's 6.8%, I get a guaranteed 6.8% rate of return on my money, right? Whereas if I invest it, it's variable. Emotionally, that might be hard for me on some years where it's less. I might average more. These are, I guess, some of the things to consider. It also depends on your parenting style. Some parents are say, yeah, I, uh, I did it on my own, so they're going to do it on their own. And yeah. I I don't really have a goal or a desire to focus on my kids' education. I want them to figure that out on their own. Others will go as far as saying, I want to pay for every dime of their education all the way through medical school. I want to be a physician like like I am, for example. Yep. That is what many of them will say. Um, and so uh, part of it is, what do you hope to accomplish? If you want to pay for their school and that's more important than paying off your debt, then yeah, you want to start early and quick. Yeah, I think one of the one of the concept, concepts that could be important to understand is, you know, the, how your money grows if you start investing early while your kids are young. Um, there's a, a simple finance rule out there called the rule of 72, and the the basic idea is, um, if you take the number 72 and you divide it by the the annualized interest rate you an- anticipate earning, that tells you how many years it'll take for your money to double. So, I don't know. I, I've got a calculator here. If you Probably even don't. if you did, even if you did ten, yeah, let's yeah. say it's you're getting a ten percent interest rate divided by seventy two. It'll take you seven point two years. Yeah, we'll just yeah, perfect to be able to double that, double that money. Yeah, yeah. So you know when you start thinking about thinking about it in terms like that, you know if you say I do want to save for my kids' college, earlier is better um, because your money could double and essentially double again by the time your kid goes to college if you were earning that interest rate. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a number of different ways you can go about saving, um, different types of accounts. Um, let's talk about the different options you have for saving for college. Um, I, I guess on a basic level, I guess you could save into like a ch- checking or savings account. That's one option. Um, you hear different terms thrown out there like Coverdell savings accounts. Um, 529 accounts are kind of the big one that everyone hears about. Um, you could save into a brokerage account. You could use an IRA to fund college college expenses in in your experience advising on these types of accounts what do you what do you feel is the best one all of them have their own pros and cons um i think they're they're all designed for slightly different purposes the 529 is clearly the one that's designed specifically for education yeah. so if you put a deposit into a 529 account and it let's say it doubles or it grows by whatever percent you want to assign to the account all that growth is tax-free as, as long as it's used for uh, educational purposes. So the downside to 529 is if you overfund it, let's say your kid is a rock star, and not literally, but uh, kind of figuratively, and, and gets, a, gets a scholarship or athletic scholarship, or maybe decides not to go to college at all, the money that you have inside of the plan can be transferred to other children other other children that you have or um 
if you take it out, there's a 10% penalty and it's taxed ordinary income. So it's like one of the worst possible investments. Yeah. So most of the time people will couple the 529 with one of those other tools you mentioned, maybe like a custodial brokerage account or a joint brokerage account between spouses to cover other expenses or um, added college expense that you didn't foresee. Um, things like a new uh, a first car or if you want to help them with a first-time home purchase, some of those other vehicles would be more suited. The 529 definitely is, though, the, the clear standout when it comes to specifically for college education. Yeah, each of those options we list, I, I mentioned a minute ago, um, have different tax advantages or implications, I guess, for using those to save for college. 529 accounts probably have one of the most advantageous setups. Um, yeah, all tax earnings are tax deferred and all growth is tax free as long as it's used for qualified education expenses. And that's changed a little bit over the last number of years. Um, it's now set up so that those ex- that money can be used for expenses on education from K through 12 or higher education. So if your kid's in private schooling um, through elementary school, junior high or whatnot, middle school, you can use it for that um, in addition to college or higher education. The one thing I've talked to people about associated with that because it's relatively new, um, if you're going to be using it for K through 12, you just want to make sure that you're funding. If your objective is to fund college, you want to make sure that you're in the position to be able to fund more than you're taking out annually for the K through 12, just so that you, your money can be continue to compound. Otherwise, you kind of cannibalize your account uh, prematurely. Yeah. So we do want people that they're using it for K through 12, but their goal is to fund college to make sure they're putting plenty of excess in the account above and beyond the what they're distributing. Yeah, absolutely. One of the the big advantages of the 529 account is high contribution amounts or high high dollar amounts that you can put into the account. Uh, if you're using the IRA, besides other tax implications, um, there's limits to how much you can put into an IRA account. Uh, whereas a 529, um, you can really lump a lot of money. And for most people, more than they want to do, right? And so you can do as little as $5 a month, like you mentioned, or tens of thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars a year. Yeah, exactly. The one thing if with, um, there's every state has a 529. If you're a Utah resident, for example, and you're using the Utah plan, um, it will be important to remember that there's a Utah, st- Utah state tax credit up to certain limits. Um, and so you, there's a 5% tax credit and you, and just, to be aware, if you do fund over and above the the maximum amount towards the tax credit, there won't be a state tax credit for the, the contribution above the limit. So for married filing jointly, it's $3,920, um, which gives you basically a credit per beneficiary of $196. So that's the maximum. Sure. So if you put in $15,000, you are still only going to get the, the credit if you had one child, for example of the 3920. And if you're listening to this podcast, but not a Utah state resident, and you are using the Utah, uh, my 529 plan, um, you don't, you'll have to work with your state to see what kinds of credits you get. But, but typically most states only give a tax credit for the plans that are sponsored by their state. Yeah, exactly. The Utah plans actually picked up a lot of traction. It's, it's considered one of the better plans. Uh, I guess some of the factors that why that is are we have 
low cost, good investment lineups for uh, people to invest their money in. Um, some plans can be more expensive. Um, Utah's, is, which is great, is typically a lower cost plan. Yeah, it usually ranks up in the, in, among the top five, typically. Uh, it's a fantastic plan. Yeah. Um, one of the uh, one of the other factors is making sure you're picking a good investments for that money to grow. What are some of the, the common investments or things that you see people use or recommend? Um, inside the, fi- the My 529 plan, there are a lot of investment choices available. And I think that's where you're going with that question as far as which choices uh, someone might select inside the plan. There are age-based uh, investments, which, as the name would imply, they become more conservative as a child gets closer to uh, the age of college. Um, those are a great. Those are a great investment option if someone just wants to kind of put it in and not think much about the investment over time. They just want to know it's well maintained. Uh, there's also static investments, and you can build your custom a custom allocation if you want. If you want to get pretty detailed. There are a number of great choices uh, with Vanguard and Dimensional Fund Advisors choices inside the plan. Um, so I, I, th- I think you would find that there is an investment for, for all types of people. Absolutely. Um, one of the other cool provisions about the Utah plan is they have the, the ability for you to add an advisor onto your accounts. What, what would be the advantage of that rather than just self-directing? Yeah, over the last few years, they've been become more friendly towards advisors, um, and I think that the there's a few views or accesses that you can grant. One would just be like view only, so an advisor can be informed as to your situation. They can download the information into their reporting software, um, so that they can track your contributions and and your balance, and that can integrate into your financial planning picture. So. If nothing else, I think a view access is, is great for an advisor to have. Um, there are also other levels of access which enable an advisor to trade and uh, on your account. And even I think the, the tier three access for the Utah plan allows you to, allows the advisor to initiate distributions, I believe. Um, we, we at UMAFS like the view access just so that it allows us to be aware of the situation. Yeah. But there's so many great investment choices that we, we feel like um, that you can choose from among those options, and, and then we just stay informed by being able to view the account. Yeah. The, uh, the process to go about setting up one of these accounts is actually pretty straightforward and easy. I've set one up for my kids. Um, you go to my529.com. Org. Org.org. Org. Yeah. And uh, it's an online account application. Um, you just need some information like social security numbers and uh, who you want to list as the owner of the account and the beneficiary. Uh, you can tie your bank account to the actual 529 account and automate contributions going in. It's, it's pretty slick. Like you can set up an account in 20 minutes. Yeah, pretty easily. One of the questions I get most commonly when someone's setting up an account is there's a section for a successor owner. And uh, so yeah. many people are accustomed to having like a joint account with their spouse. In this case, there's a single owner and a single beneficiary appointed and then a successor owner. Um, in the event that the owner passes away, then the successor owner kind of fills in to that role. Um, and they can change, you can change the beneficiary or transfer between beneficiaries or your kids. It's really slick. And, uh, and you can have all the accounts under one login if you have multiple children. 
Some people will have one account for all their kids and some will have an account for each child. So yeah, some will have a single account and some will have, if they had three kids would have three accounts. People have asked, I guess, yeah. Is there an advantage to one or the other? I think there's, um, people have asked that question. I think there are some pros and cons to both. For example, if you have a single account for three children, you know, all aggregated into one account and you choose an age-based account, it's going to go off of whoever the primary beneficiary is at the time. So sure, yeah. whatever the student's age is, it'll factor off that. So if you're, if you're saving for children that are spaced three years apart from each other and the young, the oldest child is listed as the beneficiary, the, the younger child might be more conservative than they should have otherwise been. Yeah. Um, also, I, th- I think from a parenting standpoint, it's been kind of fun with my kids, although they, they haven't perfectly understood this yet, but they can save for their own college if they have their own account. So, for example, they mow the lawn. I can pay them 15 bucks for mowing the lawn and say I'm going to put $10 in your 529 account. They can see the balance grow. And- yeah, and then and it's credited to them. But other parents don't want their children to know anything about the account. They want the child to think they need to pay for their own college. and So it really comes down to a parenting decision I think in that case yeah this this is a topic that all people don't agree on you know it's some people say they want their kids like you mentioned to pay for it all some want to be involved at some level some want to pay for it completely and so yeah I think I'd say the majority of the people we work with want to be involved at some level in contributing to their college experience whether it's you know paying for the majority or just a portion but I, I think there's a number of good ways that they can start setting money aside growing it and uh, helping save up for that experience years down the road. And so, uh, you know, we, we encourage you, if you have questions, reach out to us. Um, My 529 is a great resource for answering direct questions. Um, we can answer questions as well. Um, but no, I think, uh, I think this is a, a great place for people to begin and start the process for saving. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chad. Well, good. Well, uh, thanks, Eric. We'll be talking soon again. <laughs>